Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. London, Michaelmas term lately over. London? Okay, you know where you are. A radical transformation. Very radical transformation. Morally outraged with what's going on. I got very excited this week. Seems reasonable, doesn't it? As soon as you scratch the surface, you realise gore happened all across London. Every open square would have a place called the Kittle Hoosie. Saw your Geordie's Grace riding on a goosey. The hell is that? (laughs) When a man is tired of London, he's tired of London. So what was the first thing that caught your eye? The South has an overstuffed walrus. It's it's very important history. A handwritten letter from Charles Dickens. There's a piece of information we're missing here somewhere. You sneak through the city, immersing yourself in the sight, sound, And for the Jewish community, who came over in their tens of thousands from uh, Russia, from Poland... We are doing a modern take on Morris dancing. When did he think the second coming was going to happen? Yes, Boris... He wants to put an airport. <laughs> the, t- the tone with which Boris has announced that is fatigue. Yes, the city is always changing. People frequently say to me, you know, won't it be wonderful when it's finished? And I say, no, it'll be dreadful. No, it'll mean it's dead. Inform and entertain. That's what it's about. London is a modern Babylon. That's very true. Can we have some of the detail here? Hello, it's Friday, January the 4th, 2013. I'm N. Quentin Wolf, and this is Londonist Out Loud, a podcast of news, views and curiosities from London, UK. As ever, you can download the show free on iTunes, hook up on Facebook at Londonist Out Loud, or tweet me at Londonist Sound. Well, we're on Bishop's Gate today. We're in the heart of the city of London. Well, that's, that's not even true. We're on the edge of the city of London, and we are at Rocket, which is a very swanky sort of place. It's a, a restaurant and bar, and very much the sort of place uh, to find Matt Brown, who is the first of my three Londonist guests. Matt Brown is the editor of Londonist, which is, of course, the website about London and the friendly web-based stablemate of Londonist Out Loud. Matt is utterly obsessed with London and takes any opportunity to explore the city's many facets, from swanky bars like this to the main sewers occasionally on the same day uh you're not going down a sewer today are you no but recently i did do both on the same day i went down the sewers got covered in sewage and then went straight to a trendy sherry bar in king's cross and uh, got a few <laughs> funny funny looks from the customers that's not the order to do it in is it <laughs> not at all no. uh, beth parnell hopkinson meanwhile has been writing for Londonist since 2008 she was in 2011 promoted to contributing editor she writes about transport politics and general londony news as well as being londonists unofficial 
motoring correspondent and you had a lot of financial stuff as well coming from you Beth I was very much enjoying your series that made sense of the mumbo jumbo around financial terms and explained what derivatives are and stuff like that well I wrote it because I think there was a, a lot of discussion in the news at the time about the financial industry and it struck me that um, quite a lot of people you know, it's quite a complex industry and a lot of people just didn't sort of understand what goes on behind the scenes so I wanted to sort of try and make that a bit clearer for people Rachel Holdsworth was born and brought up in Leeds, made a break for the capital at the dawn of the millennium, and now lives in Lewisham, when she's not furiously pounding the keyboard about books, comedy, and anything else that piques her delicate lefty sensibilities. She's one of the poor souls who has to delete racism and swearing from internet comments. That is true, yes, that, that is how I pay my bills. But how bad does it get? Oh, if I told you how bad it got, everyone would just be really depressed, but I some kind of survive by being dead inside. What's, what's the sort of subject that gets the most vitriolic uh, comments? Um, I, I work on a news site um, and, well, do you remember the, uh, the 14-year-old girl who was shot in the head in Pakistan just wanting to go to school? Yeah, there, there was quite a lot of depressing um, sub-EDL dog whistle comments around that when, when she came to the UK. That, that got me quite upset. That must be a lovely way to spend the day. Um, we've got a lovelier way in the lovely surroundings of Rocket here on Bishopscape. We're going to be talking about our predictions for 2013. We've got a whole blank canvas of a new year spread out before us. And really, it's just our opportunity to figure out what the hell is going to go on in, in London and who better than you guys to uh, suggest what it might be. We've kind of broken things up into uh, subsections, as the news agenda suggests. And here comes our first one. Transport. OK, transport. Uh, loads to say here. Uh, we should probably start with 150 years of the tube that's right 150 years ago the very first tube train ran from baker street to farringdon uh, and actually the pedants will note i said tube there um it's actually not a tube line it's an underground line it's one of these cut and cover lines um where they dug up the road built a train track and then bridged over it um, and rebuilt the road above and these were plied with steam trains for the first oh, I know, 40 years or so of the service between Baker Street and Paddington and on round London. And they're going to recreate that for the anniversary. They're going to let people ride around town on, on steam trains, which uh, I'm particularly looking forward to. Now, one of the few things I know about that idea is that everybody was in open carriages and covered in soot. Is that part of the experience, as far as you know? I don't think so. I think we'll be properly health and safety to death inside uh, carriages this time round. Um, but it will be real steam engines, and there will be real steam coming out of those engines. Last year, we had some controversy over one of the, uh, the quiz questions. The quiz question was, what is the oldest... Uh, tube station in London and uh, pedantry aside of course the answer is Baker Street but how is it possible that one station was the oldest one in London? You know after years of researching trivia and the facts about London that are and aren't true I've never solved that one I don't know where you would go I feel there may be somebody who could email us at the start of this new year to let us know about that what else is going on tube wise in 2013 well the tube uh, there's still the consultations about the northern line extension to was it nine elms battersea and nine elms yes battersea is going to be the new terminus at the southern end uh, and also nine elms will be a brand new station on that uh, that little section. Well, we, we should probably say a bit about what's happening in Battersea more generally this year, shouldn't we? I saw somebody in the news saying that um, Nine Elms is currently a, a transport no-man's land and they were quite looking forward to getting the Northern Line extension. 
Ah, that's great. Now, why, why are they getting it, though? What's the story behind the story? That's the where they're building the new American embassy, isn't it? They're massive. Isn't it going to be a massive cube with a moat around it? The, the, the designs, they look kind of cool, but a moat, it's quite medieval. It's pretty much, if those who've, who've watched Star Trek, it's like a Borg cube <laughs> surrounded by a medieval moat. So it, it looks to the future and the past, which maybe the people of America would see themselves as doing. So I think it's quite appropriate in that sense. Is this in the bag, though? Are we Is the Northern Line definitely going down there, or what's needed to know whether this is going to happen? I think it is going. The TFL are doing a consultation, but, I mean, it's a done deal. The, the funding is secured. Yeah, the funding the funding is secured, unlike a lot of other projects that TFL are mooting. Um, I think they're just basically consulting on um, the disruption that's that's going to happen while they're building it. But, yeah, it's it's. I think it's going to happen. Yeah, I think it's just a case of waiting for it to be built now. You mentioned other projects that are underway and of course we've got some other rail projects that are ticking over, not going to be done for another couple of years yet but what's likely to be happening in this year, 2013? Well, Crossrail is going to dominate the sort of ongoing side of things. That's um, Although it's not going to be ready till 2018, maybe 19, um, there, are, there will be signs uh, over the next year. Indeed, Canary Wharf, uh, they've already built the station box there and then frantically building a shopping centre on top of it so that that can open um, in 2014, 2015 and bring some money into the Canary Wharf Estates. I thought they already had a shopping centre there. Yeah, but it's not quite big enough. If, if you've ever been shopping there, it's very small kind of boutique, boutique shops and very few larger department store type things. Crossrail, of course, has been throwing up some very interesting finds and they've been exhibiting their excavations and the, the fruits of those. Are they still in the destructive phase now? Is there, is there more uh, controversy around things getting knocked down and dug under? I think the worst of it's over, or, or the best of it, if you're an archaeologist. They, there are still a few sites I think out to the east especially where they could still find things and they may have to knock a few things down but they're really into the main tunnelling phase now and there's in fact a very good website where you can watch the progress of the the boring machines as they tunnel through the London clay and I believe at the moment they're just penetrating uh, Hyde Park area and heading into the west end and they're also starting to move off from the east end from Canning Town area as well I watched the boring machines totally lost interest didn't they give the boring machines names? Yes, yeah, so all, there are six boring machines, and they're all named after famous female Londoners of yesteryear. Now, I don't think I can remember all six, but there's, uh, there's Victoria and Elizabeth, obviously named after the Queen's. Ada, I believe, is named after Ada Lovelace, uh, the, the mathematician and computer pioneer. And so on, the three more, all named after famous female. I sort of want the other three now. I hate incomplete sets. I want to know who they were. What other transport? Oh, well, we, we, we should say something about Boris's pet project, shouldn't we? Tracy Island. Oh, sorry, Boris Island. Yes, Tracy Island. Let's be having you. Yeah, well, I think anybody who's been following the news in London for the last, uh, well, ever since Boris got into power, really, his estuary airport idea, which he's very keen on and intent on pursuing, but it's been thrown out on a number of occasions by various people, and I think it's just generally being a, an unrealistic proposition, but um, yeah. We think um, that will probably raise its head again. Yes, it does keep getting up again. Um, what's going to happen apart from it raising its head, though? Is anybody going to uh, approve it or m- move it forward in any way? No, not in 2013. Um, there's uh, um, a City Hall Commission investigation. They're looking into aviation. Um, everything other than expanding Heathrow, which basically says it's kind of the City Hall are saying, yes, we know what we want to do, but we're going to pretend that, that we're looking into it properly. Um, that's going to report before the government um, commission that's happening, but that, that in itself isn't going to report before 2015, I think. So 
basically we're looking forward to well I say looking forward we're expecting with everyone's head on the desk going oh not again just a couple more years of of everyone rowing about whether we expand Heathrow whether we build it in the estuary and kill a load of birds whether we link Heathrow and Gatwick whether we expand Stansted I actually don't know what what I think about this. There just seems to be pros and cons for everything. Do you agree with the basic principle that we need more air capacity? Probably. Yeah, airport air capacity does seem to be growing, although the need for air capacity does seem to be growing. But then we're also getting bigger aeroplanes, which can carry more people. So it, like I said, there's pros and cons for everything. I, it's one of those things, it's quite unusual for me to not have an opinion on something. There was a lovely far away look that came into your eye when you, uh, when you said that, that told me of sort of, uh, it was like somebody remembering horror, really. It's, the UK is already quite well served in terms of airports, um, particularly in the southeast, where um, we've got London South End, London Stansted, London Luton, London Gatwick, London Heathrow, and any other number of London airports. So, I do question how much need there is for further expansion, particularly in the southeast. I'll be looking to the American embassy and their futuristic Borg cube to also invent teleportation and then get rid of the need for air travel. Um, but someone told me an interesting thing recently about um, the Boris Island concept, which I wasn't aware of, and I don't know if it's true, is that as plans stand, um, when planes were going around in the air waiting to land, they'd be penetrating Schiphol Airport's airspace. And this is one of the busiest airports in the world. So that would be a major problem, like shifting the air patterns to, to make room for those. Up until this point, I've been sincerely worried about bird strike, but it seems as though that was a rather minor fear. Plane strike. Plane strike would be the main fear, I think. What about the other big project that Boris successfully erected and has seen woeful returns on, I suspect? The cable car. Yes, the cable car that opened just before the Olympics. It did very well during the Olympics because it's, it's linking, well, it's basically the O2 to XL, so two Olympic venues. So obviously, people were, were shuttling between the two. But since the Olympics, ridership has dropped right off. R- ridership? Ridership, yes. I'm not quite sure what else you call passenger ship, ridership. No, passenger ship is a thing. That's very true. Yeah, they've got numbers for the number of people who are using it on, on the regular pass. You can buy a commuter pass. I think it's something like 12 whole people a day, but um, I, couldn't, couldn't, I couldn't be exactly sure on that. I have a friend who, who passes the cable car every day on his uh, cycle ride to work, and he does tweet a, a, a daily ridership estimate of like, when he's passing about 9 o'clock in the morning, and it, it's generally zero people. In uh, defence of the cable car, we've heard about its shortcomings and its lower passenger numbers. Um, TfL's official communications on this are that they were investing in the future and building for the future. At the moment, the Greenwich Peninsula is is not too well populated. There's a college there, there's an entertainment venue there, but not so much residential. That will change as the years go on and Greenwich Peninsula gets more of a residential population and also the other side of the docks uh, in the Royal Docks that should also increase so maybe in three years time it will have a a customer base and also uh, quite a lot of people still don't know it exists so there you go if you didn't know it exists go ride the cable car it's there and there's definitely a seat there is definitely a seat what else have we got going on in 2013? We should probably say something about the, the Boris bikes. Usage has been, well, people have been challenging whether they're used sufficiently and also they're heading south, aren't they? Yes, the Boris bike continues its inexorable um, hegemony across the, across the city. Southwards is its next destination. Um, I think this is somewhere in the first third of the year, although I can't quite be sure. I mean, I've only used Boris bikes four or five times myself and I'm put off by the sheer difficulty of high 
triggering them, having to put your card in the machine twice and tapping all the numbers. And I've actually timed myself. And the quickest I've been able to do it, even knowing what I'm doing, is about 1 minute 20 seconds to hire a bike. That needs to be changed before these are used by many, many, many people, I think. Uh, you're south of the river, aren't you, Rachel? I am, but the wrong side of the river for the Boris bikes. It's all south-west London that's getting them. I live in Lewisham. It's not coming to Greenwich, um, Southwark, Lewisham. Um, which strikes me as odd, because I think Greenwich would be the perfect place for a, a Boris bike. Although you're lucky, because if rumours are to be believed, then the cable car is in fact going to stretch down way past you. <laughs> yes, there, there was... Um, uh, one of the more bizarre uh, discussions at Mayor's Question Time a couple of months ago, uh, one of the uh, Conservative Assembly members in South London was suggesting that the, uh, the there could be a cable car uh, built down to Bromley. I don't know if he was genuinely suggesting it could be stretched from Greenwich down to Bromley, but definitely hopping down Bromley High Street. I want to combine that, actually. We were talking before we started recording about the abandonment of those plans to have kind of cycle tracks alongside the side of railways, and I flippantly suggested that they should put hooks out the side of the trains and loops on the top of cyclist helmets and kind of carry them along. But this would work with the cable car, wouldn't it? Get the loop on the top, cable car comes low enough, little hook, whoop, up you go like a duck in a funfair. That'd work, I think. If you had a long enough string um, on the cable car, they, they could also do kind of like a water skiing thing across the Thames. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, this must appeal to you, surely, Matt. This is, this is the future knocking on the door. Yeah, it's a ridiculous, wonderful, humorous future. Uh, it has no place in a serious transport strategy. Which brings us perfectly on to electric cars. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I think electric cars, uh, the time is yet to come. I think um, that'd be a wonderful thing if we could make that happen. Although, of course, you've got to generate the electricity in uh, non-polluting ways as well to make it uh, a whole efficient system. Are we going there with electric cars? Do you believe... Is, is, would this be a, a sound prediction for 2013? We will see electric cars being uh, more widely used? I think we may see them being slightly more widely used. I wouldn't... I don't think we're going to see a revolution. Um, it's not going to happen suddenly. It's going to be something that happens over a long period of time as the costs drop because, as Matt says, the costs of electric motoring is still very high and out of the reach of a lot of people that would probably go down that route. Yeah, the cars themselves are pretty pricey. Yes, they are, yeah. So like 16 grand for a leaf or something like that? Uh, something along those lines, yeah. You've also got the fact in London, uh, charging might be a problem because a lot of people live in apartments and blocks and so they don't necessarily have a garage where they can plug the car in. So they'd be relying on public charging points which would be in a high premium and difficult to get if there are thousands of apartments competing for them. Whereas, of course, if you had something that were tall enough to come past your window in the tower, like, say, oh, I don't know, a cable car. <laughs> yes, a cable car. I'm sorry, I'm just, just loving the idea of just, just hooking onto a cable car and go sailing down to Bromley. Boris is talking about expanding the number of charging points that are available in London. Again, I can't remember the, the numbers off the top of my head, but there are. he has installed some, and he definitely, definitely wants to um, increase that. I think it's one of his major... It is major transport uh, things for electric cars. We, we've got just one uh, subject left to tick off our list here, uh, which is the imminent collapse of all the flyovers in London, which <laughs> seems to have been uh, he- heralded by the problems, structurally speaking, with the Hammersmith flyover. But what about the infrastructure uh, in terms of uh, buildings, bridges, flyovers, all that kind of stuff? Well. One thing that could be good that could come out of this is that, um, especially with Hammersmith, there's been some kind of talk about burying the road rather than flying over, flying under and, and putting it underground. 
and that would be so nice that would free up so much space for parklands maybe the much needed housing developments this city needs uh, and all the traffic goes underground and um, this would be very expensive to do but it's a long-term thing that would be of benefit to all Londoners. But from um, an engineering point of view is that possible given the amount of um, underground infrastructure that London already has? Yes and no I think somewhere like Hammersmith maybe because there's not so much underground over there although the super sewer they're building will be heavily uh, around that area um, but in central and yes you're right it would be very hard. One, one area they are uh, they released plans for just uh, a month or so ago is the old street roundabout now this is uh, it's often jokingly called silicon roundabout as the sort of center of the tech industry in london but one of the biggest missing pieces in the whole jigsaw is the old street roundabout itself which is a really sort of grim 60s 70s 80s structure which does not reflect the name silicon roundabout it's concrete 1980s roundabout and they're going to re- redo that, and hopefully as part of that, they'll rework the roundabout and make that a little bit more pedestrian-friendly as well. Yes, that's a bit that often gets overlooked in transport discussions, isn't it? It's people on foot, which is quite a significant way to move around in the city. It's time for us to move on to our next subject. Culture. OK, 2013 marks an anniversary of sorts. It's 400 years, <laughs> Matt Brown, since what happened? Well, um, take your pick. I can give you two anniversaries that are 400 years old this year. Uh, first of all, the original Globe Theatre, of course, associated with Shakespeare and the, the original um, sort of players on the South Bank, um, burned down 400 years ago uh, this year. Plans, Detailed plans haven't yet been announced as to how that's going to be marked or celebrated. I'd imagine uh, there'd be all kinds of uh, interesting things happening on the South Bank there to mark it. Hopefully they won't go too far and do too accurate a reconstruction of that uh, fatal fire. Uh, the other anniversary this year is something possibly less well-known than the Globe. It's the New River. Not so new anymore. It's also 400 years old this year. And this was a, a water source that brought in much-needed fresh water from Hertfordshire into the centre of London. A guy called Hugh Middleton uh, engineered this thing, and it was opened in September 400 years ago. Uh, and actually, as part of the celebrations, a team of intrepid explorers are going to walk from the source of that river to central London, a process of 40 or so miles in September. Uh, an interesting event which I'm actually going to take part in. We've drifted a little from uh, from theatre. What else have we got going on in theatre land, though? I, I think some fairly big names coming into the scene this year. Some massive names. Um, some massive names. Um, there are so many famous people coming. I, I've seen some advertisements and gone, wow, these are just some of the biggest names I've, I've seen for ages. Um, Michael Grandage is coming back. Um, he did a season, not last year, the year before, where he got um, Jude Law and I think Judy Dench, and he's bringing them back again. Um, Judy Dench is going to be with Ben Whishaw, so fans of the hour and Q should be very happy. Um, Jude Law is going to do Henry V from November next year which struck me as really odd because um, Jamie Parker did a really, really good Henry V at the Globe uh, last summer and Jude Law did Hamlet again in, in Michael Brandage's previous season and that was just after David Tennant did Hamlet which everyone raved about so it's, it's kind of like Jude Law is constantly um, following up really famous performances of Shakespeare with something that's not quite as good He seems a little bit elfin for Henry V to me Ah, oh, well, I mean, you should have seen Jamie Parker also not, not quite the butchest of men, but, you know, managed to get the entire globe shouting, cry God for Harry, England and St George. Well, actually, he's also bringing Daniel Radcliffe in, so, yeah, if you're talking about him having a type, 
David Williams is um, going to be playing bottom in A Midsummer Night's Dream. The same theory. We move from innuendo to something uh, much more potent there, I think. Uh, Beth, you were, you were nodding uh, wildly at some of the choices. Would you watch uh, Would you watch Jude Law playing Henry V? Yes, if only to see how it turned out. Do you uh, spectate at car crashes as well? Yeah, I can't. I don't know. I struggle to. I struggle to see how it would work, to be honest. But yeah, I'm prepared to give the guy a chance. So you know, if he wants to, if he wants to try it. <laughs> what, what about uh, Helen Mirren reprising her role as the Queen? I mean, uh, clearly, Helen Mirren is, you know, the, the, the queen in waiting. So, um, yes, I think we can. I think we can safely say that she'll probably be marvellous. Is that how it works? Is that have they actually changed the line of succession? No, apparently not. Because <laughs> they have changed the line of succession, haven't they? Haven't they said that women can now? Maybe it's Helen Mirren they've got in mind. Quite possibly, and you know, she. I mean, I might be held off the tail for this, but I think she makes a better queen than the queen. Okay, is that actually treason? Does it become treason when we broadcast this? I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting killing the Queen and replacing with Helen Mirren. I'm okay, not now, now it's treason. Yeah, I'm not suggesting that. Well, last time you had me on here, you got me to read the credits to the podcast out in the Queen's voice. So I think if we're, anyone's touched on treason, that would probably be us. <laughs> uh, when does it become high treason? How hard have we got to work? <laughs> I want to see what we've got lined up for you this time. Uh, in the style of a Borg Queen this time, please. One thing that you could be doing in 2013 is taking advantage of the offer of uh, audible.co.uk if you'd like a free digital audiobook and you haven't uh, claimed it yet well why not it's sitting there waiting for you there's 60,000 digital audiobooks on the audible service that you can choose from all you've got to do is sign up for a 30 day free trial of the audible service and you will be able to listen to your audiobooks on iPods iPhones iPads compatible phones MP3 players uh, you can burn it to a CD all of that jazz and it's yours to keep whether you decide to cancel in your trial period or not and all you need to do to get that free audiobook is to go to www.audible.co.uk forward slash Londonist and click through and of course if you've promised yourself that you're going to be doing things literary in the year ahead well that's a good start well we're delighted today to be here in Rocket I'm with Fabrizio Benice who is the general manager here at Rocket who's the dog? Uh, is this a kind of our part of design you know actually on our old business cards and menus we have a dog logo so I do believe it's coming together with the new hour brunch yes I've seen this so you've not been here a terribly long time uh, just at the start of last year you opened up in 2012 that's correct yeah beginning of 2012 and how's it gone I, I imagine that you've got a very particular sort of customer here you're in the city of London of course a lot of uh, bankers and businesses are going on around here Actually, we have another three branches in London and one in Nottingham. And uh, uh, here, kind of, we have and city business people and uh, more weekend uh, mixed shortage crowd. So it's like very kind of different uh, uh, customers we have during the week and uh, weekends as well. And I've got to ask you, Fabrizio, is this the, the first uh, restaurant that you've been in charge of? Uh, no, actually, last year uh, I'm in charge in uh, Rocket Mayfair. I was deputy manager there, and I'm being promoted here to open new site. So it was uh, absolutely a very interesting challenge for me to open new site to uh, create new our customers uh, relationship with the customers and uh, uh, to build all these things. So actually, uh, uh, I was all my 100 percent here. So. 
So that must have been a, a pretty stressful and exciting 2012 for you. It's more, more actually exciting than stressful, you know. It's a nice, stressful thing. So I just did every second, every minute enjoy this. So it's the most important thing, you know, with the passion. Uh, the building like my baby here, so. Tell me about some of the steps along the way there. What sort of things did you have to get in place and what sort of challenges did you face? Right, the, thing, the first thing that happened here, um, is that, uh, choosing actually a furniture, uh, the type of glass, that's what we're going to have menu cocktails all cocktails what I create myself with um, the help of bartenders and the old style we, how we're going to do here is all uh, I've done it with my deputy and assistant managers as well. Oh, well so this is all your brain what we're seeing here as we look around the room yeah one, I mean, I would say all mine, but like I had lots of support from the operation manager, from the owner as well. And uh, yeah, with a big help and uh, some migration here is what it is. What have you learned about this area of London? Uh, about this area of London, uh, actually, when I used to work in uh, Mayfair, so it's pretty different. It's a little bit more, I would say, and business people and posh people, if you could say it like this. But here it's like more a corporate business and the mixed crowd with the East London shortage, funky, more different kind of people. So uh, it's a new experience and a new challenge here. And uh, it's slightly different type of customers, way we behave, maybe what we drink, actually what we eat and different things. So is it, is it, I'm getting experience every single day, some you know new thing, new, I'll find new stuff. And uh, yeah, because it's a very interesting area actually. This is kind of where worlds collide as, as we look up the street here, uh, up past the end of uh, Bishopsgate. We, in fact, I can see on the side of the building an Occupy slogan has been uh, drawn on the side of a restaurant, and then we can see the, the really the arty bit of town just there in Shoreditch. When we look back down the other way, well, uh, the skyscrapers are there. We can see some of the towers that have just been completed further down Bishopsgate. So yeah, you're really on the on the boundary here. Yes, I do believe so. We're on the edge of the shortage in the city, so I think maybe it's pretty interesting location I, I reckon about 10 doors further that way and you couldn't have the dog up there it would be an entirely different vibe <laughs> I do agree absolutely what, what about 2013 we've got the year ahead of us now what are your uh, predictions and hopes for 2013 besides of course doing fantastically well here at Rocket yes uh, 12, uh, 12 uh, 15 uh, well we we now having new our customers we uh, create a new relationship with all the corporate business around uh, we do different kind of things uh, uh, with our new for new year straight away after Christmas after New Year's parties we're going to have a new menu as a healthy specials uh, healthy even cocktail drinks so it's like less calories so attractive our customers in different way more be more healthier uh, our cuisine is a more modern European Italian so all the history here but uh, um, uh, the previous owners we opened uh, first rocket in London I would say and we create a kind of mixture American and English styles uh, what does it mean Americans like more sizes of the dishes American it's huge dishes and uh, with the uh, European more, more European uh, uh, scientists but it's nice fresh mixture Italian food more than European 2013 uh, will be a, another successful year for second year of this new branch business and I'm looking forward to it and your customers will be healthier because of your new healthy options and, and uh, what's the website for Rocket oh it's www.rocketrestaurants.co.uk uh, and you can see all our four sites, three in London and one in Nottingham. Fabrizio Benis, thanks so much. Thank you very much. Robert. Let's move on to our next area of discussion.
the built environment. Beth Parnell Hopkinson, uh, an architect and uh, a, a construction company, have to factor in many things as they're putting up new housing. One of them is not letting the river arrive in the front room of people's houses. Well, with um, all the floods we've been having recently, um, the question has arisen again of whether or not we should be building on floodplains and how much um, our current housing crisis outweighs the requirement to build on floodplains. Obviously, the one of the biggest issues is around insurance. There's a deal that the government had in place with the insurance companies which runs out next year which could mean that um, people who live in floodplains won't be able to get insurance which obviously renders their properties unsaleable. Um, how, how many people is that likely to affect? How many people are living in flood prone areas? Um, if I remember right I think in the whole of the UK I think it's somewhere around 200,000 um, though there's probably you know given the, the, the Thames and its low lyingness um, London probably has a fair proportion of those. Okay, so what's going to happen there then? Once they can't get insurance on their home, then what do they do? Um, I don't know, to be perfectly honest. Um, so it sounds like a serious crisis, doesn't it? I mean, these people are going to either they've got to stay there and they can't ever move out, or they've got to find somewhere else. And the, the exact problem is the lack of house. Yes, yeah. Um, obviously, it has quite severe implications in terms of lack of uh, shortage of housing. Um, the capital is already severely short of housing anyway. So, yeah, the question, the question is whether or not we should be building on the floodplains and, um, you know, how it affects the long-term housing crisis in the capital. Yes, we've got a few different options. We could build down into the floodplains, we could build across into Greenbelt, we could build up into the sky. Mm. Well, just on the floodplain issue again, I think um, not only is it an insurance problem, it's a mortgage problem. I think lenders are going to be reluctant to lend mortgages to people who want to buy houses on floodplains so therefore developers won't build on floodplains because no one's going to be able to buy them except people who've got cash in hand so i don't know if that's necessarily going to be a problem well that's that's no bad thing if they're not building their houses in the first place that's fine isn't it that's just common sense but it's it's the people who are already on there they've got the problem by the sense yeah so uh, yeah quite right i think um the, the people do take these risks so it's a, ca- a gamble really to buy houses in these sort of areas i mean you could have a really really nice house for maybe a little bit less money and it might flood once every 10 years maybe that's a risk you're prepared to take and uh, you just have to change your furniture every 10 years <laughs> I, like, I like your uh, insouciant calm uh, what about the the bigger buildings the bigger construction projects going on around town in 2013 well, there's all sorts going on. I mean, there's on residential side and the commercial side. Uh, in the city and in Southwark, you continue to see buildings going up very tall. The Shard Viewing Gallery is opening in February. The Walkie Talkie Building, which is one of my personal favorite favourites and most hated buildings as well at the same time, uh, also will sort of complete next year. And also the Cheese Grater Building. Why does the Walkie Talkie provoke such animosity? Well, it's such an unusual shape. It's a novel, uh, different thing. And novelty in, in the built environment always provokes strong reactions on both sides. Um, this has the redeeming feature that it has a what they call a sky garden at the top, which would be like a public park or a private public park uh, where anybody can go and actually for free, they're not charging, unlike the Shard, and be surrounded by lovely trees and bushes and even some mature trees. Um, and overlooking the Thames towards the Shard. And this will be from 2014, but the building will be complete next year. I've been looking at some pictures of Chinese skyscrapers just recently, and they've got some fantastic double skyscrapers that link at the top. It's not a straight line either. It goes around a little bend. Rachel is gesturing wildly. What's going on? 
Ah, yes, the CCTV uh, CCTV building in Beijing. I think you're talking about. Yeah, yeah it's sort of. Um, yeah, it's, it's a Z, it sort of joins at the bottom and it comes up at the top, so a, a company I work for worked on it. Um, and it's all sort of held together with a weird tubular thing and the, in the middle where the, the Z at the, at the top one, you can stand there and you can look down on, onto Beijing and it, that's quite cool. We, we could do more of that kind of... China is actually where all the really innovative skyscraper building is going on. I think we could do with a bit more of that. We've got quite a lot of just blocks going up. Although what I, what I really like about it is that where Londoners and Beijingers cross over is that the first thing they've done with this building is give it a stupid name. So they've called it the pair of pants because it's got two legs and a, <laughs> and a gusset. This is, a, yeah, it looks like a pair of trousers. But yeah, there are, there are all kinds of skyscrapers going up there in ridiculous shapes. But London's not far behind, you know. It's certainly not as tall as China, but the shapes are a bit unusual and a bit weird. Should we say something about the Pinnacle and what's not going to happen to that in 2013? Oh, well, the Pinnacle is, is stalled. I think developers, I'm not sure if it's the same developer that originally started it, but yeah, it's, um, they're not sure whether they're going to finish it. It's already half started. I'm not even sure whether, they, have they just stopped on it? So the Pinnacle would have been uh, the tallest building in the city of London and almost as tall as the Shard, actually. It's a very, very tall build, building. It was built up to about the 12th or 13th floor, maybe the 13th and lucky floor, and then they ran out of cash or they got into a political situation uh, where they had to cease building. This was about a year ago. And uh, no word as yet what will become of that building. Will it find funds or get through its problems and start building again? Will it be scrapped or will it be redesigned and rebuilt with what they've already built? That's massively bad budgeting, isn't it? Yeah, and it's a shame because it looked like it was going to be a beautiful building. I mean, a lot of people, you know, are sort of complaining about the heron and the walkie-talkies being a bit blocky, but that was going to be gorgeous. Well, the, the actual the nickname for the pinnacle, pinnacle isn't enough of a nickname, it was also called the Helter Skelter because it has this sort of tapering look to the top of it which resembles a, a childhood Helter Skelter building. It was all purple and blue and it had this lovely skirt shape at the bottom made out of glass as well. Uh, it would have been a, certainly an enriching piece of architecture for the city. Should we say something about King's Cross? Yeah, so King's Cross has had this horrible green outstructure for the past uh, 30 years and it's been um, it's a place you used to wait for trains and you used to come off the train and there'd be thousands of people there waiting in line to get on their, their trains and of course recently they opened this new concourse to the west of the station this glorious half dome shaped thing with glass panels in the roof far more capacious and beautiful than the, the temporary structure out the front but finally that temporary structure is going away and it only ever had temporary planning permission it was supposed to have been knocked down 25 years ago and there it is still there today and uh, the bulldozers are now in they're knocking it through and by the end of this year it will be turned into a new public square for London larger than Leicester Square everything's due to be cleared away and turned into an open square in November this year Right, OK, we, we should have had that on our calendar of uh, predictions as well. And another uh, opening up of a public area. Well, how public is the Olympic Park going to be? Um, I'm not 100% certain, to be honest, because I think it's the, the reports I've seen seem to differ, uh, because there's obviously going to be quite a lot of housing there. Um, I'm actually quite disappointed that they didn't leave it open as a park for a bit longer, um, because being massively disorganised, I didn't go and visit it while the Olympics were on. Um, so I missed I missed seeing it all, and it would have been nice to go down there after all the circus had gone away, and you know, go and see what it was like. It's in a bit of a sorry state at the moment, with with bits being stripped off by uh, construction workers and so forth. Well, what are the plans overall for the Olympic Park then? Have, have we got an idea of its usage going into the future? Um, the first 
reopening will happen in July this year. It's uh, the northern section of the park, the sort of areas where uh, the Riverside State Riverbank Stadium was, the Copper Box, uh, the areas north of the stadium. Basically, that's going to reopen as the Queen Elizabeth Olympic Park, and it's going to be mostly parklands with a few entertainment venues there. The southern half of the park will have to wait an extra year. They're converting that uh, into yet more event space. The stadium needs refitting. We still don't know who's going to take over the stadium. We don't know who's going to get the naming and the sponsorship rights. There are all kinds of questions in the southern end of the park. But by July, you'll be able to access the northern sections. Should this sort of stuff have been sorted out by now, do you think? Did they forget about this bit? I don't think they forgot. They, they got into wrangles and difficulties. The stadium was originally given to West Ham for use as a football stadium, uh, but that deal fell through for whatever reason, and now it's open to bidding again, and, we, and so we still don't know what the future of that stadium is. Well, the gloom that's crept into your voice tells me it's time to move to our next subject, uh, and what could be cheerier than... Politics. Rachel Holdsworth. Oh, one of the big things that's going to happen next year is um, there's going to be closures of some A&E departments. I think that's fairly inevitable. Um, North West London is going to see four of their A&Es closing. And I hadn't actually realised um, the impact of this. There's, there's nine hospitals in the North West London Trust. And the four, that, the four A&Es that, well, I say closing, they're being downgraded to urgent care centres. So if you've got a broken bone or a fever, you can still go to theirs. But, you know, if you're dying, go somewhere else. Um, and the four that are closing are in the centre of this, this area. So you can kind of draw two concentric rings of, of the nine hospitals. The outer ones are all fine. The inner ones are going to be downgraded. So if you're having a, a car accident in Acton, you are going to have to travel a hell of a lot longer to get to a proper A&E department. Um, Can you imagine living in Acton and, uh, I don't know, you've got a dicky ticker or something? You must be feeling a little bit twitchy now. Ealing, in particular, is very unhappy. There's, um, in fact, uh, Ealing booted out their assembly member, um, their Conservative assembly member, in favour of uh, an NHS doctor uh, who was standing for Labour who was campaigning almost exclusively on saving Ealing Hospital, um, their A&E, and... It looks like he's not going to be able to. It looks like it, it's a pretty much a done deal. But yes, they are so cross, um, as are the people in Lewisham who found out a couple of months ago that their A&E is going to be downgraded to pay for the failures of the South London Health Trust, which Lewisham isn't even a part of. And we've got similar compromises and cuts being made in how the police operate. We could start in Hampstead and then move across to some of the wilder policing schemes that we've got going on. What about Hampstead? Um, Hampstead is one of the stations that's uh, police stations that's slated for closure. Um, there's... We, we don't need it anymore. The crime's been sorted, basically. Oh, yeah, there's absolutely no crime in Hampstead. I mean, who would want to, you know, do any burglaries in Hampstead? There's nothing to steal there. It's all fine. £500 million has to be cut from the med budget. I don't know. But I, I think it is £500 million. And the police are looking to save that by closing a load of police stations and moving some of the services, so the front counter services, into places like supermarkets and coffee shops. Matt Brown. Uh, you're actually you, you're willing to give this a go, aren't you? How are we going to do this? Okay, I'll, I'll be the uh, victim of crime. Matt, you can be the uh, the good cop, as befits you. And uh, Rachel, definitely the bad cop. Beth, what role are you taking in all this? A coffee shop punter? Come on, I'll be an innocent bystander. Okay, you ready for this? I'd like to report a crime, please. Hello, hello, hello. What's all this then? You're a bit odd. I'm going to talk to the bad cop instead. Um, I'd like to report a crime, please. Yeah, sorry, mate. There's nothing, just coffee going on here. This isn't going very well so far. Uh, do you know where I could get a latte? 
Did you say a ladder or a latte? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just... You're not supposed to be assisting the crime. <laughs> Would you like a cappuccino? Oh, oh dear. <laughs> It's a, it's a punning police service. <laughs> Hello, I'd like to report a crime, please. Oh dear, sir, what seems to be the problem? Um, I've just been uh, beaten up in the street. Um, well, you could try Cafe Nero across the road. We only deal with burglaries in this, this branch. <laughs> uh, well, there we go. I think that's uh, conclusively <laughs> conclusive evidence that that's not going to work at all. Uh, but you, you, in all seriousness, so you are willing to give this idea a shot, I think. Yeah, I think uh, I, I've not thought through what the implications are, and I've not heard of anyone else ever trying this before. Who knows? It might work really well because I think sometimes the police do have this problem. Certain sectors of society ha- uh, see the police as an enemy, and maybe if they are in very, very public places, maybe it will help that position somewhat. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, th- there is that argument, you know, bringing the police more to the people, but equally, if you've had something quite personal happen to you, you know, if you've been the victim maybe of a, of a sexual assault you're not going to want to talk about it in the middle of Tesco well you say that um, I, you do hear people talking about that sort of stuff in Tesco's off their own bat don't you I mean, you sit in Starbucks and you know a bunch of mums with their push chairs you can pick up all sorts of scandal what depends what sort of Tesco's you go to <laughs> well, there are grades well, <laughs> five salacious articles of gossip or fewer no we need to move it on Boris let's have some Boris Boris Johnson. Because we've got no election this year. And what is it 2015, the next one? 2016, so that's going to be the next mayoral and uh, London Assembly election. But we reckon um, the people who are thinking about standing for mayor in 2016 will have to start throwing their hats in the ring. Sometime next year, you know, to, to really get themselves taken seriously. I think Ken Livingstone was uh, nominated for the candidate in 2012. In 2010... So whoever is thinking about signing for Labour, at least, is, is going to have to get, well pull the finger out, frankly. Are we expecting there to be celebrity mayoral candidates coming along here? I think that perhaps we should do like an X-Factor-type audition for London Mayor, and um, then all the candidates need to get up and perform a song of some description, and then everybody can judge on how well they think they did, and that's, um, that's the basis on which London Mayor is. Well, like, how, how, how well do they perform on a zip wire? <laughs> yeah, well, if they're going to be singing, we should probably be grateful that Ken Livingstone's not standing again. Christian Woolmer, Matt, you're suggesting as a candidate. He's a, a transport commentator, a very well thought of, very intelligent man who has written many books about London, uh, mostly about the transport system. And he is a bit sick of the current silly situation in City Hall where it is kind of dominated by personality and not politics. And he wants to address that uh, and has some sensible ideas for the future. What do we think of the odds of Boris standing again, even though he said that he won't? I think it's likely he will stand again, but um, I suspect he will leave it until the last minute to tell us. Um, because the, the, one of the big questions with Boris has been whether or not he would go for Conservative Party leadership. I can't really see that happening, so I think he would probably stick with Mayer again. A lot of commentators are rubbing their hands together at the prospect of him doing uh, the former of those. Who knows? Well, there's, there's, there's talk around City Hall that in the, the Tory party, the London Tory party, are putting James Cleverley, uh, who's currently the head of uh, London Foreign Emergency Planning Service, I've not given that right by name, but yeah, the, the Fire Brigade board, basically. There's talk that he will probably be the Tory candidate in 2016. I actually reckon that Boris won't stand here. He made such a big thing about it in 2012 that I don't... Well... He may well do it, but he would have an awful lot of stick to live down. 
<laughs> he must be used to that, sure. But I think he's um, he's not unknown to play these kind of games and um, I wouldn't be surprised if he did just uh, if he did just go ahead and do it yeah that that is that is a good point but he's he's already looking quite bored in Mayor's question time and it's only six months after the election who, who do you fancy Labour putting up I actually think um Alan Johnson has, has he was mooted um, a little while ago he's already said he won't do it I actually reckon Andrew Adonis might stand uh, Lord Adonis I think he was a transport minister in the previous administration he's been piping up occasionally about London transport issues he's very well regarded in terms of uh, transport probably is just as highly as Christian Woolmore but he's got a higher political standing and he's already a member of the Labour Party which I'm not sure Christian Woolmore is um, I think he'll probably stand a better chance of getting nominated but as it stands Andrew O'Donis has not put himself forward so it's all still rumour and speculation I think with your ability to mediate a dispute and a debate, I think N. Quentin Wolfe should go for mayor. I'd be following in uh, the, the footsteps of Nick Ferrari if I were to do that. And look what happened to him. <laughs> and of course, there's always Eddie Izzard, the, the perennial Eddie Izzard rumour, but my money is on Izzard for 2020. Oh, he did give a precise date as well, didn't he, when he was going to stand? I, I just remember him saying that he'd, he'd want to um, well, let his acting career run his course first, but yeah, I reckon, um, I reckon Izzard for 2020. Let's keep moving, and we've got various London things to talk about. Yes, let's get into predictions for the miscellanea that may befall London in 2013. We've already had the suggestion of a Bromley cable car, which I think is a terrifically good idea. Uh, what about renaming the Shard? Why are we renaming the Shard, Matt? Well, I've just got this hunch that every other building in London seems to be named after a salad item. You've got the uh, the gherkin, of course. You've got the, the cheese grater. So I think the Shard should rename us the Chard, C-H-A-R-D. It's, it's tough to argue with. What about the, you mentioned the gallery uh, that's going to be opening there. What's that all about? Yeah, so from February onwards, uh, any member of the public can go up to the, I think it's the 68th floor of the Shard. It's one of the highest viewing platforms in Europe. Um, The very top floor, the 72nd, I think it is, is open to the elements. You can be rained on up there. You can feel the wind flowing through your air. Hair, and I think it's even it's higher. Flying through your ears, <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think it's even higher than the top of the Eiffel Tower. So it's an amazing view from up there. I think the powers that be liked the idea of the disabled Olympics, the Paralympics, so much that they've decided to do it every year, every month if they got a half a chance. <laughs> so we're having disability events every year from now on. Yeah, so this was a, a still sketchily um, planned out plan to have some kind of disabled competition in the Olympic Park annually and that's about as much as we know it was another I think it was a mayoral gesture towards the end of the Paralympics to make sure that there's some kind of heritage and legacy to the great work that the Paralympics did for disability sports in this country so this will be in August uh, this year but we don't yet know many of the details about it. Is that a terrifically cynical move or something that is to be applauded? I think it'd be a hard heart who describe that as cynical. I think it's only got to be good that uh, the more, especially young people who are afflicted in ways that, that maybe others aren't, who have maybe got low self-esteem, things like this can draw them out and help them and bring them on and get them into something that they can make a positive contribution to their own life and to society in general. What else for 2013, Beth Burnell-Hopkinson? Well, seeing as Boris has already kicked off his world tour by going to India, um, I think that next on the list is going to be China. And I think he's going to be um, challenging the Chinese to a ping-pong match, or whiff-waff, as he prefers to call it. (laughs) Yes, that's quite a challenge. Uh, How do you think he'll get on? I think he'll lose dismally. (laughs) 
More broadly, what about his endeavours on the global stage? People are really starting to take notice. I get the impression people know who he is now, for better or for worse. What's he up to? What's the what's the, the game plan here? Because if you think he's going to become mayor again or going to stand for mayor again, then that suggests he's not doing this to cement a prime ministership. Well, he certainly seems very keen on promoting his um, himself globally. Um, there's a section on City Hall website, for example, which goes, you know, which explains um, about the various projects that he wants to undertake and um, that he wants to, you know, he wants to. I don't know, I suppose, improve awareness of the Boris brand. And I'm guessing that this, I mean, this visit to India that he did recently was um, to try and build business links between India and Britain. Um, And I suspect that the same thing is going to be coming up with other countries, you know, in next year, you know, perhaps going forward. Uh, Rachel Holdsworth, what does 2013 hold for you? Uh, for, For me, I think, well going the other end of London for me personally it's uh, Barnet, I think Barnet is going to be a major flashpoint for London, Um, Barnet Council are pioneering uh, the effort to privatise pretty much every single service, council service that they can get their hands on or hands off as the case is Um, and Barnet residents are furious because they they say they weren't consulted about it, this has all been done um, without really their knowledge and well, because it's, it's only back office, in inverted commas, only back office stuff. That's the only privatisation that's been going on. That's Barnett's argument. Yeah, only in inverted commas. Uh, but it's, it's things that, that do affect people. Uh, it's just day-to-day council services. Um, and Barnett have taken it to the streets. They are, they are really going for it. So Barnett appears to be, if anywhere is going to be um, fighting the government's uh, ideological agenda... I think it's going to be Barnet. I mean, you, you, you know, you, it, it, whether you agree with it or not obviously depends on, on your, your political viewpoints. Um, but this appears to be where um, the, the flashpoint is going to be nationwide um, for the government's vision for public services in the future. Well... We look forward to seeing what's going to happen there. The first, if they haven't already done it, the first uh, local newspaper to use the headline "The Battle of Barnet" scores no points. Just so you know. Well, there we go. Those are Londonists' predictions for 2013. I hope your new year has gotten off to a fantastic start and only gets better. My thanks to my guests, Matt Brown, Rachel Holdsworth and Beth Parnell-Hopkinson. Thanks too to Bernie Barkley, Zoe Craig and Rocket. Theme and incidental music was by Jack Hurd and Rory Anderson. And I'm N. Quentin Wolfe. Straining for the blue waves calling from the shore. See you.